am trying to navigate everything alone today because my husband's out of town. So just please bear with me. Um, and let me see here. Uh, let me see. Let me get my uh, Zoom back up and. Okay, there we go. And then um, before we actually get started, I'm going to share. Um, I'm going to share the live stream with a couple of platforms. And if anybody else wants to do it, now is the time to share. So. Okay, I think we're good there. And let me get to the lesson study. And today we are studying from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1. And uh, we're studying at Chapter 103. Starting at paragraph 588.1, the chapter, the, the title of the chapter is actually Laborers in the Office. And um, the office is the uh, Review and Herald Office uh, in 1867, uh, or well, 1865, actually. And Karen, what was the um, paragraph, please? We're starting at paragraph 588.1. Okay. okay. Um, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, um, Chapter 103, and starting at Paragraph 588.1. And um, she's referring to the office, meaning the uh, Review and Herald office. And she's basically talking about the solemnity of the work. And she's talking about the deportment of the workers in the office. And um, she's talking about that uh, this work is, and I'm just kind of reviewing and summarizing what we've studied so far, that this work is an important and sanctified work and that the deportment of, the, of those who are working in the office should be um, not jesting and lighthearted and uh, cracking jokes and uh, just taking the work lightly uh, for the fact that the devil wants to come in and he wants to destroy the influence and the effect of the work. Okay, so um, we're going to take it up from there, uh, starting at paragraph 588.1. And um, at this point, she's talking about how uh, she says, brethren A, B, and C were in danger of injuring their health by um, remaining a considerable part of their time in these heated, insufficiently ventilated rooms. And she said that, and, and this, you know, the good thing about studying Ellen White's writings is that this goes for anybody in uh, closed, heated, unventilated rooms. Um, so we, the, you know, when we study this stuff, we want to take the principles from it and apply them to our lives. And um, so she's saying that these workers in the office 
They needed more exercise, more physical exercise. And of course they needed maybe to turn the heat down and maybe to, if they had windows available, I don't even know if they had windows available in this place. And, and, and a lot of office spaces may not have windows available. Um, so I guess you just do the best you can. I remember when I worked at uh, uh, pretty much my first real job, um, I was in this little, it was actually, I think it used to be a janitor's closet. <laughs> so there were not literally. And so there were no, no, you know, windows. There was not, you know, just one door in and one door out, you know, and I would, I would walk to work. Um, Cause I got tired of paying <laughs> the um, lot fee. Cause I was like 12 blocks from work. I got tired of paying the lot fee to park downtown. So I just started walking to work, which at least gave me the fresh, the, the fresh air and the exercise every day. I didn't get to see the sun unless I went out for lunch um, because I would walk to work before the sun came up and at least in the wintertime anyway. And I would walk home after the sun went down. So I didn't get to see the sun unless I went out for lunch. Hmm. Uh, and um, But yeah, I was in this little cubby hole, little closet. And um, so I think I got, what What do they call that? The the winter blues or whatever, when you don't get oh. something done, you know, but mm -hmm. anyway. Um, and she, so she's saying here that um, they were in danger of, 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 of ruining their health or injuring their health anyway. And she said that uh, if they continue to violate these laws of health that they said, she said at some future point, they were gonna suffer the penalty, you know, just as her husband suffered it because apparently they were just, I mean, they were working and hard working and working and working and working without any period of respite or adjustment or, you know, um, taking into consideration their health. And uh, so she said, they, they, they're they not going to be sustained any more than her husband was. And we, we know from prior readings that her husband got really deathly sick from just this continuous work without and, and, and continuous exertion without a period of respite and a period of taking care of himself and rest and everything. Um, yeah, I was um, on that part about the ventilation. And that's true. That's one of the seven laws of health, fresh air. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to have heat and air conditioning, but you still got to have fresh air. So what, at night when we're going to sleep, we'll open up the window to get a nice circulation of fresh air. Mm -hmm. And that's whatever season it is, winter, spring, summer, fall, just to make sure we get that nice fresh air. And that, that even helps you to sleep better, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's funny because Andre, like my husband likes to do that. And I told him, you know, on those, what is it? Those, what are those days where the air quality is not good? Mm, red day or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. I told him, I said, I don't think we need to be opening the windows on those days. I said, because what's coming in is worse than what's already in. <laughs> and he said, well, Sister White didn't say that. She didn't say except on those days. I said, but yeah, Ben should tell you that, you know. The key word is fresh air. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. Like if you go camping and stuff and sleep out in a tent, you really get some deep sleep because you're just out there and the fresh air and 
sounds of nature and stuff. It just puts you right to sleep. Yeah. Oh, not really. It's walking around with all that stuff on your back that puts you to sleep. You're so tired. <laughs> well, that's one of the other laws, exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and let's see, going down to the next uh, paragraph, she talked about uh, one of the brethren, brother and D, or brother D. And uh, she, she was just talking about how these men that were working in the office, she said, you know, they, they take the work with the heaviest battles and the sorest trials and um, to establish the cause. And yet she said a great and solemn work was still before them and called for devotedness from them. And she said, one of the brethren was in danger of exaltation and that God was gonna prove him and try him but he must be girded about with truth so that he doesn't, you know, high, find himself high and lifted up and I guess take on himself pride and, you know, in, in, in the work, you know, and then he will fall by the hand of the enemy. And she said that um, all of them that were working in the office needed to adhere strictly to a healthful spare diet or all of them were in danger of having congested brains and paralysis may fall uh, one or more of them if they continued living recklessly and carelessly. So it's interesting, uh, you know, from teaching the, the, the class on councils and diet and foods and, and just, you know, in hearing in general how you are what you eat. I mean, we've heard that before. You are what you eat and, and you know, you eat if you eat foods that just congest you and 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 cause you to be sluggish and overweight and all of that, then you know that's what you're going to be. That's what that's that's what you're thinking is going to be sluggish and and all of that. I remember going through a period of time where I didn't eat sweets over the Sabbath because I wanted to be able to appreciate the truths that were being you know preached or spoken about on the Sabbath. You know and um, of course, now, you know, <laughs> um, I eat sweets very sparingly, period, you know. Um, now, one thing that one thing that people say, you know, if you're talking about health, healthful eating and they'll say, oh, I ate this or that and I still feel good. But like she's pointing out, it says if you continually violate these laws at some future period. <laughs> So it's like building up, like a, uh, it's building up on you. It's just coming together constantly. And then at some future period, your body just going to respond to it and react and you're going to be in some bad That's shape. Right. So That's right. whenever we're eating and drinking, we got to think long term, not just right. what it tastes like right now, but what's right. it going to do to me later? Right. I have a friend that everything she ate, I mean, for a period of years, everything she ate had to have sugar on it or sugar mm. with it or something you know and now she's got all kind of problems with her joints and you know everything and I'm positive it has a lot to do with all the sugar she consumed over the years you know yeah too and much think, of anything is bad or too too much or too little of anything yeah. can have a bad effect like we always talk about in class it's balance that you need. You have to balance your life out in all different ways. You can't ever just go too much of this constantly or too little of that, but it's all about balance. Mm -hmm. 
I think also about the young people today who eat a lot of fast food and processed foods. Mm-hmm. That's all they grew up on. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just, I mean, I just think about what their health is going to be like in a few years, you know, as they get older. And that brings up another interesting point about the human body. No two people are the same. So if if one if two people eat exactly the same food or drink, that doesn't mean they're both going to get the same right. illness or that they're both even going to get ill. But right. some people's bodies can handle a lot more punishment, I'll say it like that, than other people who end up suffering the consequences. Because it's true, a lot of parents, the first solid food their kids eat is french fries and mcnuggets <laughs> and then it just continues from there and then at one point it seemed like every teenager you saw had a, a 16 ounce drink and a big family size bag of chips walking around eating yeah just yeah, poor, poor eating habits when i was a freshman in high school my lunch was an ice cream sandwich a bag of um barbecue potato chips and a soda. <laughs> That's what I ate every day. Oh, mm. man. Unless, unless they had something good in the lunch, in the cafeteria, like fried chicken or something. <laughs> mm. And then I would go in there and eat. What's that saying about y'all's cafeteria that you chose to eat that instead? Huh? Yeah, said, right. Yeah, right. your cafeteria right. must not have been very good. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> Oh, let's see. Um, and then let's go on down to the next paragraph of 588.3. She says that she saw that God had specially selected Brother B to engage in a great and exalted work, and that she would and that he would have cares and burdens, but these could be more easily borne with true devotion and consecration to the work. Um, and she said that he needed a deeper draft from Salvation's fountain and a more thorough draft from the fountain of sanctification. And she, she cautioned him and said that his will had not been fully submitted to God. And she, basically she was telling him that he moved because he basically thought he had to, or, you know, he couldn't do anything else, but he needed to walk in cheerful light because he could see that Christ was leading the way. And he's, that's, that's not what he was doing. He felt he had no choice. And so he was, he was moving forward, but it was not in a cheerful manner. You know, you've always heard this saying, God loves a cheerful giver. Mm-hmm. One that is just feeling like, oh, I got to do this. So let me just get it over with, you know? <laughs> and, um, so he had not learned that yet because he had not fully submitted himself to Christ. And she just said, you know, if you drink more fully of that, that fountain of life, you know, you'll get that joy in what you're doing, you know, that he was missing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. And then she, she, she also said that in the place that he was occupying the responsible place, she said, she said, you have all, you have in all this hurt your own soul and influenced others. She said, if you walk contrary to God, he will walk contrary to you. God wants to use you, but you must die to self and sacrifice your pride. The Lord designs to use you in his cause if 
you will follow his opening providence and heartily and fully sanctify yourself and cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And that right there, that paragraph, that's for all of us. That wasn't just for Brother B. That's for all of us. You know, God wants all of us. He, well, he's warning all of us. If we walk contrary to him, he will walk contrary to us. And that really is a frightening thought, you know, mm-hmm. for God to walk contrary to us. That sounds like, you know, the children of Israel, when they were walking contrary to God, he scattered them abroad, basically, <laughs> you know, and he allowed all kinds of things to come upon them. And he just, he just drew back and said, oh, okay. And that's the thing about God. He gives us free will. And he allows us to do whatever we're big and bad enough to do. But he also doesn't give us the same protections and the same blessings outside of his will that he gives us inside of his will. So that's the, uh, that's the lesson in that. Yeah. It's not like uh, he's not withholding them from us, but we're not where we can get them. It's kind of like if you're giving out a million dollars down at Union Station. So I said, hey, you know, Karen, Karen, you say, hey, everybody, tomorrow, you know, at 12 o'clock, I'm going to be giving out a million dollars from 12 to 2, you know. And then I decide, well, I'm going to go get my million dollars from Target, you know, on Lindbergh. <laughs> and I say, Lord, please be on Lindbergh. And you already said, I say, Karen, be at Lindbergh at 12. And you say, well, now I'm going to be over here, Lakita. Then you might call me while I'm on my way to Lindbergh. And I'll be like, well, uh, it's just so far away. I don't know if I want to come and make it there and blah, blah, blah. Well, you didn't withhold nothing from me. I just went where it wasn't at. And so that's right. why it didn't happen. And that was but, my fault, not your fault. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. It was, yeah, well, in this case, yeah, it was me, mine, because I walked away from where God, from you in the place that God told me to be mm-hmm. and stuff, you know. So even like he said, that she says, if you walk contrary to God, so God going east and you do a west, well, God's already going east. He ain't really walking contrary to you. You, you know, you're just not going in the same direction. It may feel that way to you, but all you have to do is go in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. I always think about that song, Kanye West song, that says, Jesus walks yeah. with me. I'm like, no, you're supposed to walk with Jesus. You know, <laughs> all right. Uh, and then this one, uh, as we move down to the next paragraph, 589.2. Well, uh, and she talks about a second testimony. Uh, and this one, in this one, she's talking about the young people in the office. I think that, I guess the first one was about the older people in the office. She's talking about the young people in the office. And, um, She's just talking about how she just had a burden for the young people there. And she was, she said she was repeatedly shown that the ones that were in the publishing uh, office there, the young people, that um, they needed to be 
Christians, not only in name, but in deed and in truth. And that their object should not be to merely work for wages, but that all engaged in this great and solemn work should feel that their interest is in the work and that the work is a part of them and that their motives and influence in connecting themselves with this great and solemn work must bear the test of the judgment. And she said, none should be allowed to become connected with the office of publication who manifests selfishness and pride. Now, <laughs> let me ask you, Lakita, what would that job interview sound like? <laughs> How would you determine who manifests selfishness and pride in a job interview? Well, probably they would tell themselves, as you were speaking, I was thinking about uh, this thing called quiet quitting. And this, the, in, in, uh, this Gen Z's, I think I'm going to try to say it correctly, Gen Z's position about work is that they don't want a job where, you know, <coughs> they, is, they don't have passion. So they don't want to work a job that they don't have passion, but neither are they preparing themselves to be in a job that have passion. But uh, quiet quitting is where I just do the least that I can. I'm interested in my own life being balanced, that I don't do too much for this company. They're not paying me enough. And I'm just going to do the least amount of work. So people will probably tell themselves in the interview, as you discussed, they will probably ask questions like, what time do I get off? They may, some people are so deluded that they'll probably tell the interviewer that I don't want to work overtime. I don't, I will not work overtime. And they may even say, you know, I, I need more, um, more vacation time and, you know, more pay. So I'm going to do less and I want you to pay me far more, you know? And so I think in their, their, um, character and their speech and their belief system will be on front stage you know uh, I, if you want to you could say well you know we do overtime what do you think about doing overtime back in the day you just want a job oh yes 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 i work 24 hours seven days a week right? yeah. <laughs> these people are not gonna say that they're gonna be like well that's important my time is important to me how much overtime are you, <laughs> you talking about so I think that they probably more than likely will tell on themselves. Mm -hmm. And even after you hire them, once you find out, you can always let them go. Yeah, but who wants to do all that, right? You know, it might not take long. Yeah, but you might be there a week and you say, uh -uh, this ain't going to work. I almost prefer they be there for two years and unfold, you know, just show who they are over a period of time. Because you know you you don't want to go through all that. Trying what to about a personality that. test? Uh, MMPI. A personality tests are really pretty accurate. They really are. And uh, the MMPI definitely is. It has a lot of um, it has a lot of questions and stuff, and it even has in there a measurement to determine if you're lying. So you're not going to be able to trick the test in any way. So, but yeah, that would be a good thing to go to um, to do. But if you get a sociopath, it might be able to trick the test because he may actually believe his lies. He actually believe he's all that stuff that he say he is. <laughs> Gotta have a Constanza effect going. <laughs> <laughs>
Read <laughs> you your own lies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or the or that that Bible text that says that because they receive not a love of the truth, God allows them to believe lies. Yeah. yeah. Right. Now right. we have read this one part, Karen, about people who are working there should be Christians indeed in truth. And I seem like a long while back, I'm not sure which year, but they seem to want to just start hiring anybody uh, for the Christian church school. And it was like, wait a minute, if you, you know, I'm reading this, if you're going to have some kind of like a principle of hiring true Christians for the publishing work, you want true Christians leading the church school too, because your kids' livelihood is at stake. And people was just kind of like, oh, they got to, teaching certificate you know and the person wasn't a christian mm-hmm. and they weren't an adventist christian either and but they did, people was just like well they got a degree and they they need a job and we need a teacher or whatever yeah. that's interesting because i think we had a while back in one of the chapters we had a conversation about whether or not the uh our adventist um hospitals and stuff should hire only Adventists or mm. not. That's you know that's not possible because you know um there's not a lot of you know like Evans professionals in those areas, is it? I don't know. And then another thing too, I'm just saying this, I don't know for sure. Sometimes, God forgive me. Our institutions are paying at level, and I'm not understanding. Now, I don't know about the hospitals, but I definitely know that our schools are not paying at level what teachers should get. So it's hard to maintain staffing when people can look across the street at the secular folk getting paid $75,000 a year, and they at 35 or 40. And then um, if that, and then, you know, like uh, all the extra stuff that comes with being in one of those bigger schools. So I think sometimes that's a big problem. One of the, one of the differences with that, though, I think is doctors and nurses, people in hospitals, they're dealing with your physical issues, whereas the publishing work and also the church school, they're dealing with spiritual issues. So you want truth and honesty when you're dealing with the spiritual issues. Whereas any, anybody who's finished med school, hopefully will make a good doctor and know how to diagnose or treat people's physical issues. So I'm not sure that it has to be uh, Adventist doing that. But when you're talking about writing up literature that is proclaiming the word of God, you got to have people who know the truth and who believe the truth. I feel kind of like that. I feel that way too about. Um, counseling but we'll talk about that off camera mm-hmm. okay. all right um and then the next paragraph 589.3 uh lakita would you read that one for us where is 589.3 okay i was showing that lightness and folly joking and laughing should not be indulged by the workers in the office those engaged in the sound work of preparing truth to go to every part of the field should realize that their department has this influence. That they are careless, jesting, joking, laughing while reading and preparing solid truth for publication. They show that their hearts are not in the work or are sanctified through the truth. 
They do not discern sacred things. They have a truth that is to test character, truth which is of heavenly origin, as a common tale, as a story, merely to come before the mind and be readily effaced. Hmm, what do you think about that? I can see that. I, I, I may not be able to put it into words, but I definitely see that. What I think will happen over a period of time is doubt start coming in as as they are okay, so first they're jesting about something that happened the other day, turtles, dogs, cats. Then they get to jesting about each other, you know, blah, 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 their own lives. And then they start talking about work. And then when you get to start talking about work, you get to talk about the people. So now you're undermining one person's character, I mean, faith and trust in, in a third person that's not there, which may be considered gossiping. Then somebody will start talking about what we're writing and what we're doing. You know, it ain't all that and all this stuff. So I can see how that's a very slippery slope. Jesting and joking is really not good most of the time, you know. It seems like it's a lightness and carelessness in the office that has no place when you're dealing with sacred truth, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not that you can't enjoy work or have fun, but when you're there comes a time where you have to focus on what you're doing. And when you're focused on focusing on the word of God, that's not the time to be laughing and joking. Also, I think, you know, it becomes more difficult to discern truth, you know, so you're truth from error. So one word in a sentence can make it a whole different sentence so you don't want that in there mm -hmm. but really i think about just our work in general you know i was reading on um, something i thought saw which one was that was that uh, twitter one of them maybe it's tiktok and the the nurses were making fun on tiktok and you know you have that hipaa right the, the legal thing of women who had had babies and maybe the women was asking for stuff. You know, you're in labor. You're just really not thinking, right? Oh, you're trying to just get away from that pain. And so one person, I assume she had rang the bell. Nobody came. She got up out of her bed, went to the nurse's station to ask for some water or something. And they were joking about it and talking about the things that their, their patients do that gets on their, they had another word, but it was like a pet peeve for them. And so to me, that's such a lack of gratitude that people entrust their lives in your hands. And you're just so ungrateful for that, you know, and stuff and taking that light. So I think in all of our jobs, especially when you're dealing with people or God's truth, you know, there's an element of sacredness to it. You shouldn't just be trifling with people's lives. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would think that would have a very um, negative influence and effect on especially you know like the person that they're talking about you know mm -hmm. you hear that or whatever. yeah you know you think people don't hear it and then that it it affects your like your demeanor when you go into the people you know when you come in you have an attitude they haven't even done anything and you already got an attitude before you even get into the room so i think that it affects a lot and people don't realize you know your words how powerful they are and what a great influence over others and yourself it has mm -hmm. and it says in uh 
think I guess this next paragraph down is uh, talking about where you're laughing and joking while you're supposed to be working on the the uh, publications or whatever. It says eternal things will not be discerned by them, but will be placed upon a low level with common things. And so you have to be very careful about, like Lakita saying, your mindset can go from here to over here to over here. And then you look at e eternal, everlasting things. It's just basic stuff to be made fun of. What that was a uh, 590.2, just one at the bottom of that. We weren't we were there. Sit down for it. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's really a, um, something I was reading yesterday. This is very sad. Where this guy, you know, he was developed, he was homeless, developmentally delayed, and, and, develop, and um, disabled. And so he, every day, pretty much, he go by the police office. Everybody knew him. So one day he goes and he pretends like he's shooting the police. You know, he's schizophrenic, delayed. His IQ was probably 55. And um, he was homeless. So he pretended like he was shooting the police with his fingers, no guns. They said they couldn't get him under control. So they handcuffed him and took him to a detention center. He had a hearing and the judge gave him bail for $1,000. He couldn't get out without bail. So for $1,000. They took that guy and put him in a room, um, was the isolation room by himself. And he was in that prison for a whole year. And they did not feed him. So he died of what? starvation, malnutrition. And the monitor, I guess I'm thinking the monitor is a human being. At first I thought it was some type of machine. The monitor was saying, even after he died, that the check was, everything was good. When they found him, he was a 200 pound man when he went in. He was now 90 pounds, even though when they got his body out of there. He had water, you know, that was his feet seemed like it was water in there. So the feet was shriveled up. It had been in that water so long. So this whole thing of, you know, your job, it, it seems like it's nothing that, you know, that monitor looking in there, probably saw his eyes open. So I'm sitting up and think, oh, he's still living. Or he's a, but they weren't feeding this guy. They said he had even started eating his own feces and drinking his own urine. Where was this at? When was this? Well, I read it yesterday. I'm not for sure the city where it was at. Um, but then they, they, the attorney general for that area says that no crime was committed. They could not say that anyone had committed a crime in that situation. Wow. It's like, you know, he was an African-American man. Hmm. It was just, it's people take their jobs. So like, I think, you know, she's talking about the work, working with God's stuff. And to me, any, what, what the Bible says, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do it all to the glory of God. Everything that God gives us to do, Lord help us. It's, it's a holy assignment and we should not be just like so trifling with it, right? You know, you know, we just think that, I don't know. I I, I was very, Lee would say, thank you for, for that depressing thought the kid yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for depressing me. 
<laughs> it is depressing as you look and you think about um, the elderly that's in people's care. You know, your grandmother sick and she has to wait for two hours for you to bring her a cup of water. It's so it's horrible. When the Lord returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find love? No. Seem like ain't love of many is waxing. Um, let's go on down to the next paragraph. Uh, five, 90.3. Um, she said that the work of present truth should en engage everyone's interest. And she said that the publication of truth is God's ordained plan as a means of warning comforting, reproving, exhorting, or convicting all to whose notice the silent, voiceless messengers may be brought. So that could be through a pamphlet, that could be through a handout, that could be through um, any of the means that, uh, you know, we have of, 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 of giving out, you know, um, printed materials um, to other people. And she said, the angels of God, their job is to prepare the hearts of the people that we give it to, but our job is to give it, you know? Um, and then she said that, that, that um, she said, no one in the office are sufficient of themselves for the important work of discreetly managing the matters connected with the publication of the truth. Angels must be near them to guide, to counsel, and to restrain, or the wisdom and foolishness of human agencies will be apparent. So um, it is very, I mean, the work has to be directed by God, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The work has to be directed by God. Yeah, and when you read when you read that paragraph, it just reminds us of how important it is, you know, for our publishing work to continue to go on. So a lot of times when we're at church, I look at the little magazine rack, and it's like magazines from five or six years ago on there, and it's just not important, you know. And we need to raise it back up to the important place where it needs to be. The silent messengers should, could still be doing their work if we would just take time to keep them updated and stuff. But it's like nobody's in charge of that. And well, I know not only keep them updated, but make sure that they're them. not just sitting around, that they are actually being handed out. Yeah, because like, everybody can take some of those magazines and hand them out at their office or at home or in the neighborhood. Right. They ain't doing no good sitting there. Right, right. So they'll just be thrown out because... Like you said, they're so old, they'll just get eventually just get thrown out. Yeah, they're just going to get thrown out. And that that's embarrassing to hand somebody a magazine and they say, hey, this is 20, 2006. Right. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. And you'd be so embarrassed. It's like, man. So I think that's, again, reminding us that the publishing work is important and we shouldn't be neglecting it either. Yep. Uh, I'm going to read this next paragraph. It said that I saw that angels were frequently in the office, in the folding room, and in the room where the type is set. I was made to hear the laughing, the jesting, the idle, foolish talking. 
Again, I saw the vanity, the pride and selfishness exhibited. Angels looked sad and they turned away grieved. The words I had heard, the vanity, pride and selfishness exhibited caused me to groan with anguish of spirit as angels left the room in disgust, said an angel. The heavenly messengers came to bless that the truth carried by the voiceless preachers might have a sanctifying holy power to attend its mission. But those engaged in this work were so distant from God, they possessed so little of the divine and were so conformed to the spirit of the world that the powers of darkness controlled them and they could not be made susceptible to divine impressions. And then she went on to say that um, those who handle precious truths as they would as they would sand, know not how many times their heartless indifference to eternal things, their vanity, self-love, and pride, their laughing and senseless chatting have driven the messengers of heaven away from the office. And you know what? I think that's probably could apply to any conversations anywhere that we're having in our homes, in our homes, whether it's on our jobs, whatever, you know? I think that often, you know, heaven may send angels to bless us where we are, but because of our, <laughs> the same things, you know, that they're exhibiting here, we're not going to be blessed and angels are just going to turn away. Vanity, pride, selfishness, foolish talk, foolish jesting, you know, the angels turn away greed because they can't bestow the blessings that they were sent to bestow. And she says, in deportment, words, and acts, all in the office should be reserved, modest, humble, and disinterested, as was their pattern, Jesus, the dear Savior. They should seek God and attain righteousness. The office is not the place for sport, for visiting, for idlers, for laughing or useless words. And you know what's funny? Now... And because of COVID, probably even more so, a lot of people work from home. So what does that look like for us, you know, now that we have the TV at our, at our disposal and we have the phones where no one in the office can overhear who we're calling, who we're talking to and all of that, you know, during our <laughs> work day, you know, <laughs> the conversations that we're having that we would not have had were we actually in the office, you know. That was one of the holdbacks of working from home for many corporations. They they didn't want to let you work from home because of those reasons. They figured you'd be watching TV, going to the store and shopping or sleeping, and they're paying you money to do the job and you're not getting it done. Mm -hmm. So that was why people were really hesitant when the ability to work from home first came out. Mm -hmm. Now, many people... It allows them flexibility because they can get done the things that they need to do when they need to do them. But they're also actually working more hours because now they can work half the night if they need to. You know what I mean? So for some people, it does allow some flexibility, you know, to get some things done when they need to get them done. You know, as far as uh, um, personal things or things like that, you know, but yeah. it's definitely some benefits. But. When they first started talking about it, people were really skeptical because mm -hmm. because of human nature, you know, there's so many people, if they can get away with something, they will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see. Um, 
And then she goes on to say that um, these truths which they read, which they act their part to prepare to send out to the people are invitations of mercy. They are reproofs, they are threatenings, they are warnings or encouragements. These are doing their work as a savor of life unto life or death unto death. If rejected, the judgment must decide the matter. The prayer of all in the office should be, oh God, make these truths, which are of such vital importance, clear to the comprehension of the humblest minds. May angels accompany these silent preachers and bless their influences that souls may be saved by this humble means. And that is that is some kind of prayer right there. You know, I don't know if we, when we go to hand out stuff, do we pray that kind of a prayer, you know, that it will reach the hearts of those people that we're handing stuff out to, you know, I don't know. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to go on down to the last, well, pretty much the bottom of the next to the last paragraph. And she says that all should feel that the office is a holy place. And as sacred as the house of God, meaning as the church. Uh, that might be the problem. A lot of people probably don't even feel <laughs> the church is sacred, but anyway. And she said that God has been dishonored by the frivolity and lightness indulged by some connected with the church. She, saw, she said, I saw that strangers from abroad often went away from the office disappointed because they had associated it with everything sacred. But when they saw the youth or others connected with the office, possessing but little gravity, careless in words and acts, it caused them to doubt whether, after all, this is really the work of God to prepare people or translation to heaven. So the, the, the influence of what the, these people who came from all over the world to the office to visit the office left with a feeling of, yeah, this is not what I thought it was. And this work is not what I thought it was. And yeah. I think people back then were more, more serious than people are today. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right, Lee. I think there was, whew, there's a big difference between, you know, and the devil I, was working with lightning speed to get people used to sin and sinfulness and, and and stupidity and idleness and just wickedness, you know. Yeah, I like course. what Tita was saying about the difference between the millennials. You know, they ain't really thinking of working so hard. Yeah. You know, they don't want, want to work at all if they can help it. But back it's in that easy. time, Gen Z. But back in that time, people looked at work as a blessing and a, an honor to work hard. You know. The Protestant work ethic was strong back then that when you work hard, you know, you're a good person, you, you'll you benefit and you'll be blessed. Nowadays, it's like, I don't have to put all that into it. I'm, I'm going to get a paycheck enough to buy, pay for my cell phone use and some gas money, and that's enough. Work just doesn't hold the same, uh, same place in people's thoughts as it used to. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think, you know, I don't think we, I don't think for the most part, we understand the lateness and urgency of the hour. 
mm-hmm. you know, as a people. And I think, you know, of course, I think that we haven't been doing our part to warn the world. But I think also that God's people is not ready for Jesus to come back or not ready for Jesus to come back. And that's those two reasons are why he hasn't come back yet. You know, his people aren't ready and we haven't done our part to warn the world. You know, it's been said if the church had been doing its part, the Lord would have came mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that would have happened, I might not have been born. So, but but think about it. If the church had done its part, you might have been born in heaven. <laughs> maybe or maybe not. Or if the church had done its part, we might already be in heaven. Yeah, that's true too. Anyway, um, any more comments on that lesson? Okay, if there's no more comments, Lee, where are we next week? Uh, next week, we're on Christian service. The subchapter is delay is fatal. Delay is fatal. Chapter three? Yeah, and then the subchapter delay is fatal. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, well, with that, we're going to close out with prayer. Um, dear kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time of study. And I just pray, Lord, that you would impress these truths on our, our hearts, Lord, and that we would glean the principles of truth from this message, Lord Jesus, that we need to hide in our hearts, Lord, that we might take this time seriously and that we might take this time as preparatory time, Lord, that you would make us holy and make our families holy, Lord Jesus, that we would put a, put a stop to the jesting and the joking and the frivolity, Lord, that with which we, we might in some degree or in some cases be living our lives, Lord, and that we would um, take seriously, Lord, the times and the signs of the times and uh, those things that we need to be doing to be found with our lamps trimmed and burning when you return. We thank you. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all that you have done for us, all that you are yet doing for us, and all that you will do for us in the future. We bless and praise your, your holy names, and we just thank you, Lord, for accomplishing our salvation for us. Now help us to be among those, Lord, who take advantage of that wonderful and marvelous gift that you have given us. And um, bless us as we um, close out the Sabbath later on, Lord, and just help us to have a wonderful and a great and safe week, Lord Jesus. Um, Bless and protect all of our family, our loved ones, our friends. Continue to remember Alexandria Doyle, Lord Jesus. I pray for her healing. Remember Thomas this week, Lord, as he bears his grandfather. Uh, Remember... um, uh, Crystal, Lord, as they pull the plug on her father, Lord, and remember the family, Lord, and help them through this difficult period of time, Lord Jesus. And I remember all the sick among us, and uh, Lord, answer before we call all of our church family, all of our family, answer before we call this week, Lord, whatever we may need. And bless all of our those who may be watching online, Lord. Hear and answer all the prayers of the saints, Lord. And Answer before we even encounter anything, Lord, this week. I pray that the answer will already be in place. The healing will already be in place. Whatever we need will already be in place. 
We thank you. We praise you. Always in Jesus' name we pray. Until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So you said you didn't cook anything?